0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks.
1: Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. So we talked about it. We're going to preview Big 12 Media Days. Go through a quick preview here. Cam, you had a list of things that you wanted to run down and I'll I'll coincide this with, the uh, again, the article that was released yesterday, and I was one of the Big 12 publishers who provided input on this. Uh, just kind of a 30,000-foot view of Big 12 predictions, and Cam, some of this is going to tie in. So just go ahead as we preview media days and run down some of the things you wanted to cover today. I'll, I'll give the floor to you.
0: Sir. So I wanted to do a primer and a list of questions for you. That excluded Texas and included Texas. Okay. So which one do you want to start with here? Do you want to go ah, with... It's
1: Longhorn Notebooks. So let's go include okay. include Texas. Why the heck not?
0: So then what is your most interesting storyline for the Longhorns The Big 12 Media Day tomorrow?
1: I think we talked about it yesterday, just how how do they perceive the expectations? Because you say, okay, how are they going to handle the pressure? But I, I want to get a feel for the players and Sark on yeah. just how do they perceive it? Is it out of sight, out of mind? Is it business as usual? Has the demeanor changed at all? Because... That's one thing that you can say for the last two coaches. Charlie Strong's teams, whenever they experienced any, any measure of success, and again, during that, that time of Texas football, those three years, use that term loosely, anytime they, they looked like they were trending in the right direction, they would quickly stub their toe. And as I'll never forget, 2017 media days, I was talking to PJ Locke. And he told me, he's like, yeah, he's like, we thought we were awesome last year. We beat Notre Dame, and we're 11th in the country. And these were his exact words. He said, then we go out to Cal and boo-boo all over ourselves, and it's not the same. Everything just unraveled real quick. So, and then we saw Tom Herman's tenure. It was, you get any measure of success, and all of a sudden, you you puff your chest out and think, okay, here we go, we're ready to take off, and then you get punched in the face. So, and then winning's hard. Yeah, so how does... This, this short measure of success, or not, it's not even success, it's just the fact that external expectations, really for the first time in Sark's tenure, are elevated to a level where they should be at Texas. Has it changed this coach? Has it changed these players? Has it changed how this group has gone about everything? Pretty much going back to January 2022, coming off that 21 season.
0: Inspect's Specs text line, please weigh in on these questions as well. five one two three three seven, 3, 7, 7 6. What is your most interesting storyline for Texas? Uh, next question for you, Jeff. What player, it doesn't have to be the five who are going to Arlington uh, tomorrow, but what player on this Texas team has the most to prove in your eyes on the football field?
1: I think to me it's Alfred Collins uh, because you can be legitimately, you know, too deep on the interior defensive line with Byron Murphy – and Tavondre Sweat leading that group. But Broughton and Collins, they can either keep your ceiling relatively similar to where it was last season, or they can significantly elevate your season to where you could legitimately be the best defense in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think those two, but Collins specifically, those two guys are that important. So I, I would say there's three. It's Collins, it's Terrence Brooks, and then for me on offense, it's Isaiah Nayer. Okay. His re- his recovery from the knee, because we talk about how deep this receiving group is, it's infinitely deeper if you get Nayer back. Because, again, I'll go back to some stuff we talked about on the Longhorn Blitz last summer. You know, Matt Butler and I looked at the PFF numbers, and we compared Nayer's profile. If you look at some of Nayer's advanced statistics in terms of yards per route run, uh, you know, uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of, average depth average depth of target. Isaiah Nayer's numbers were comparable to what Xavier Worthy did as a freshman. And you think Nayer did that at, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds with that kind of vertical speed and playmaking ability. Plus, you look at things like contested catch rate and how good he was there. Nayer's profile is real similar to Gabriel Davis' the Bills. A real similar. You look at Davis's numbers at UCF, like, they're real similar. So that's one of the many things that made Nayer intriguing. We obviously didn't see that last year. But, man, if you get that guy back on top of Xavier Worthy no longer having a strong hand, he's got two healthy hands, with the addition of A.D. Mitchell and the return of Jordan Whittington, this this receiver group, it could easily be one of the deepest in the country.
0: Nayer had almost 900 receiving yards in 2021, his last season at Wyoming. 44 receptions.
1: What was, he like eight, what was he, like an 844, I think?
0: 878. 878. I don't know if we'll have that type of production at Texas, especially with how deep this room is, but if you get even a glimpse of that, I'm right with you, Jeff. And, and there was a report, actually, I believe it was, it was from the Insider piece last week about Nair, and a source on the team said, the speed's there. The speed is there. And that's, I think, a part that's been lacking on Texas, right? We talked about the deep ball, and that's been beat to death. But, you know... For whatever reason, between yours and Worthy, it just wasn't working. Now you could you talk about maybe it's Worthy's broken hand. You know, yours just not putting in the work. Whatever, Nayer has the speed, and if he's healthy, if he's you know, I don't I don't know he'll be at one hundred percent this season, Jeff, because coming off that injury, yeah, that's really tough. Mm-hmm. That's really tough. Even I wouldn't if,
1: expect him to be up running hundred percent by the time you go to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, you know, but if he if like by the Oklahoma game,
0: that speed that straight line speed is there. And that deep ball is there. I think it's Nair in yours that'll be connecting on the deep ball. It won't be. It won't be worthy, worthy in in yours like we've been. That Sark's trying to force down our throats the last few years because he hasn't really had any other options to go to the deep mm-hmm. ball with. I think Nair can be that guy.
1: Don't don't discount Jonte Cook and the impact yeah. he could have. Oh, just he's on. nasty. I mean, uh, you go back to, like the Devin Duvernay's freshman year. Duvernay had what like 16 catches that year, and I think like five of them were for touchdowns. Had several plays of 60-plus. The other thing I would mention, too, and I don't know if this is going to relate to something that you'll get to here in a sec, Cam, but I also think I heard Bucky and Aaron talking about it this morning, You know, the ability to run the football and and get into your play-action game and open things up that way if you can have a truly complete offense. To me, it's less about running the ball per se and more about can Quinn Ewers have a grasp and a command of Sark's offense to an extent that your entire RPO game is available to you. So they didn't run as many RPOs last year as you would think, and that's really when Sark's offense, when it really gets clicking, man, the RPO is a huge part of it. So I think not that's not necessarily the deep ball part of it, but I think the RPO game, if it's on point, that can really open up a lot of stuff if Quinn's ready to operate that at a really high level.
0: Last question for you. I asked you about the most interesting storyline on this Texas team. But what – Coach, or well, Sark included, but what player are you most interested in hearing from and, and what question are you ready to ask Quin Quinn. Quinn.
1: Quinn, because we can talk about the running backs. We can talk about the offensive line, talk about the defense. If he doesn't take steps forward and make progress and starts getting on an upward trajectory, it's not that everything we talked about before that is moot or everything around it is moot, but – your ceiling is not a championship caliber ceiling if you don't have the right guy pulling the trigger. It's just period point. That's just how I feel about it. I've I've seen too many Texas football seasons derailed by not having competent quarterback play or upper level of the conference quarterback play. And and I, I think Quinn Ewers is a capable quarterback, but with especially with losing Bijan and Roshan, missing that part of your offense. Capable is not going to be good enough. And I know everybody is, not everybody, but there are, there's a portion of this fan base that is really intrigued by Malik Murphy. Uh, Malik Murphy, may be, he may be the second coming of Patrick Mahomes. He may be the second coming of you know Tyrone Swoops. I don't know. But the fact is, if you go to a freshman quarterback, now you're starting that process, that development process all over again. And in the year where you're trying to win a conference championship, that's not a place where you want to be. Who knows? Maybe he he could come in and set the world on fire, and be an answer. But you're better off. Your odds of your odds of getting to Arlington are much better if Quinn Ewers takes the necessary steps to be to reach his ceiling, which I think his ceiling is Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. Which at that point, that's putting you in. An all American discussion, a national awards candidate discussion. That's the level Quinn Ewers needs to raise his play to.
0: Dane Bruegler of the Athletic had a piece that went up, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but it was basically a twenty twenty four draft class, especially about the quarterbacks. We already we already know Caleb Williams will be number one. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, he could spend the entire season throwing with his left hand. He's gonna be going number one. Number two, you know, it's probably gonna be Drake May, but that number three spot which is, you know, I think kind of open for grabs. You know, a lot of people talk about JJ McCarthy, but you know, it can be Quinn Ewers. And, and in this piece, Ewers is ranked; he's ranked fifth. And a lot of that is because of his erratic season last year. And I understand that. But you know, in in Dane's piece, his point was he's a guy that he can be the number three pick, number three quarterback taken off the board. I think
1: behind uh, Williams and Drake, Drake May. May. Yeah, yeah. So who it, does he it, have in front of Quinn right now?
0: McCarthy outside of Maine Williams McCarthy, and then the quarterback from um, Duke, Riley Leonard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We'll we'll see. And the last Duke quarterback that came out was uh, Danny Dimes. Danny
1: Dimes baby.
0: But I think the point with that, I, I think yours going number th- as his third quarterback being taken off the board that goes hand in hand with Texas being successful mm-hmm. because if he does not make that jump, does not make that jump this season, you know whether it's injuries or maybe Malik Murphy comes in or whatever, but if Texas does not make that jump. It's probably because Quinn Ewers did not live up to the expectations that we thought he was.
1: There's, there's a lot of parallels you can draw between where Quinn Ewers is right now. And I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Where, you, where Quinn is right now and like where Chris Sims was going into 2001. Where you've seen the flashes yeah, good comparison you know you've seen you've seen some growth like Chris Sims, you go back and watch the 2000 season. there were times where he was just playing flat out not good, but then major gets hurt late in the year at tech and then Sims plays those last couple of games, lights out in in a win over a and m and actually, I think he had four picks in the bowl game, but you know you look at how well he played down the stretch. He's a drop by Roy Williams and a drop by B.J. Johnson away from maybe outdueling Joey Harrington in that Holiday Bowl. Yeah. So, and and everybody was excited about Sims going into 2001, but as good a year as Chris Sims had in 2001, what do you remember about him that season? The Oklahoma game Mm -hmm. where he didn't play well and the meltdown against Colorado in the Big 12 championship game. That's kind of where Quinn is. You've seen the flashes. You've seen what it looks like when he – like Quinn's first quarter against Alabama – that's pro. That's all the 2022 version of the Chris Sims third quarter against AM in 2000. <laughs> no, it is, man. Go go back, Cam. I want you to go back and watch that. Like go down to rabbit hole. Oh, more homework. Go find go find that go find that get game on YouTube. You can find it because we did a, a Longhorn Blitz watch along during COVID with that game because Rod was in that game and it's a, a lot of a lot of really good Longhorns were in that game and. We're watching it, and you watch Sims in that third quarter, man, and he – look, there's there's a couple – there's one of those touchdowns where, like, he just throws, like, a hitch to Sloan Thomas and Sloan breaks a tackle and then just boom goes up the sideline. Man, he throws a, a bomb to B.J. Johnson. He throws a a slant just like – I'm talking like a Brett Favre fastball to Roy Williams, and you just watch him deal in that third quarter. It's one of the best quarters a Texas quarterback has ever had. And I think that's kind of the the first quarter, first half. Quinn was on track to having against Alabama, so I just the parallels between Quinn yours, and Chris Sims is, is really intriguing for me. But that's that's it for me. We could talk about all the other stuff and all the other, there's a lot of other stuff that's important. But if you don't, if your quarterback doesn't get to the level where you expect him to be, where you need him to be, nothing else really matters.
0: So let me ask you this: if if Texas goes 8-5 and five this season, whatever, doesn't have the season that Texas fans wanted, doesn't make the Big 12 championship game, what do you think would have had to go wrong for that to happen?
1: I, I think the three, the three things I've talked about that I think are the three things that could hold this team back. One of them I just talked about. Quinn, Quinn's, yes. de- Quinn's, development, the Quinn's development does not go on an upward trajectory. It's still peaks and valleys. Sark's game management doesn't improve, that it's it's a detriment. And, and there are games where you lose where it's clock management or kind of wasting possessions like we've seen happen with Texas sometimes. That's what it feels like. So Sark's ability to manage a game. Uh, and then the defense doesn't take the steps forward that we think they're going to take. The, the ceiling for the defense is lowered, and that could be – the Terrence is and Alfred Collins of the world not stepping up. It could be, man, the Gary Patterson factor is is a lot stronger than what we thought it was. So there's a couple of different things at play, but I think it's those those three things: Quinn Ewers, Sark managing the game, and then the defense as a whole just not really, not truly elevating from where it was last year.
0: I feel good about pretty much every other positional group. Quarterback is the one question mark, although I'm I feel confident in Quinn's progression based on what we've heard out of Quinn, out of the team, the players. Maybe that weak side linebacker spot because you know losing over Sean, I think it's going to be pretty big. Who will step up? Is it Anthony Hill? Will it be a combination of Hill, uh, Blackwell, whoever? Uh, David I think Benda. that's
1: probably what it is, and maybe Anthony Hill takes that yeah. over at some point. And then
0: the edge spot. I, I think the, the the middle, the defensive line is going to be solid. The edge is who will step up. Uh, Specs text line, chiming in their most interesting storyline for this one, can Quinn Ewers live up to his high school ranking and lead this team to win sometimes in spite of play calling? That goes back to what you were saying, Jeff, about game management from Sark. But I think also Sark was also kind of hamstrung, again, because he had to play, was a 22 personnel a lot. Um. Two wide outs? No, they play
1: a lot of twelve personnel. Twelve you know, sorry. One running, still, back, one running back. Yeah. Two tight ends. Yeah,
0: twelve personnel, which you know isn't great, like especially against some of these three-three-five defenses. You had one receiver who you could count on, who had a broken hand. Basically, the defenses could kind of you know go after Bijan.
1: Well, 12 personnel should work against. In theory, it should work against the the three safety defense. The thing that you got to remember about how the run game structured against a three safety defense how it needs to how it needs to function. Is that third safety is basically a glorified? It's a glorified safety. He's basically a linebacker, and 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 that safety, especially like you go back and look at like what Greg Eisworth did for Iowa State, he was so good as that third safety because he fit the run so well, and the way that that Iowa State and the way John Haycock teaches it, the way they fit the run, that's why that's why they're so good. They got some athletes, but the way they fit the run and, and you watch them on tape, it's they execute it almost flawlessly. It can lull you into thinking you can run the ball. How you need to how you need to run it doesn't really matter about formations or personnel groupings. How you need to run against a three safety defense because it takes them a minute to read and fit the run. That's why a zone run game doesn't work that successfully against that three safety defense. You got to hit it downhill and you got to hit it hard. I go back and watch where Texas started having success against Iowa State. Bijan makes a lot of things happen on his own, so you almost have to just forget. Like, well, B- Jeff, Bijan had some successful zone runs. Yeah, go back and look at how much of that was him making a guy miss in the hole yeah, behind or the him scrimmage. him breaking a tackle. He's a freak. Like, you just got to take that part out of the equation. But when they really started moving the ball in the second half is when they started giving it to Roshan and just pounding the ball in between the B gaps, the B gap, A gap runs, just getting downhill and hitting it hard. That's what you've got to do against that three-safety defense to not let them have time to fit the run not let it have time to progress.
0: Do you see anyone on this roster defensively that can turn into a dominant edge rusher from the specs tax line?
1: I want to I see what Baron Sorrell can do for an encore. Because he had a really productive year last year, quietly. Because Jalen Ford yeah. was so good, and the interior D-line was so good, and, and we talked a lot about
0: – Made all – preseason
1: uh, all Big 12. You know, we talked, yeah, we talked a lot about Ryan Watts and, and kind of Anthony Cook's emergence of safety. But I, I don't know that we talked enough about Baron Sorrell – and the job he did, we had five, five and a half sacks yep. last year. But it seemed like, it did seem like the the presence wasn't as consistent as it needs to be. To cause you know, there's a lot of times where if you're if you're getting pressure and you're consistently getting pressure, at some point the sacks will be there. The sacks will come. So if Baron Sorrell, to me, if he's a more like eight and a half this year, Cam, somewhere around there, like seven, let's say between seven and a half and nine and a half, somewhere on that scale. Then I think that'll means he's just doing a more consistent job of disrupting the quarterback.
0: Yeah. The, the, so I don't
1: know if do, I don't know if they're gonna have a dominant edge guy, but Baron Sorel can be like a first or second team All Conference type guy. I, I I'd like to think he can.
0: It can definitely be top two defensive line in the Big Twelve if if they reach their ceiling and if they put that consistency together. You mentioned Alfred Collins, Sorel's right there too. Maybe who who steps up? Vernon Broughton. Dre Bledsoe there's a lot of guys and also the addition of, of Trill Carter in the middle. I mean, we've heard great things about Trill Carter. Don't forget about you know Collins and everyone else. Um Defondre Sweat, you know, coming back yeah. for another year. It could be a really solid defensive line if someone on the edge can really step up and that guy maybe is Baron Sorrell.